and welcome back to Redirected. My name is Andrew East, and this is a show where we sit down with celebrities, athletes, entrepreneurs, anybody who's experienced a pivot or change in life at some point or another. We all go through them. I certainly have myself. And I wanted to sit down with people who have made it through these changes well, hopefully to glean wisdom for myself and ideally share that wisdom with you. We're currently doing a Forbes 30 under 30 series where we're sitting down with young people who are building organizations and companies that are going to change the future. And today we sit down with Carolina Rexi, who has Italian roots. She grew up in Rome, ultimately came to the United States and went to school in Boston. And she talks to us about what she's building now, which is EdSites. And EdSites is an interactive platform that encourages student interaction and engagement in order to increase retention. And this is incredibly important. She talks about the dropout rate in colleges in the United States and the success that they have had with the EdSites platform. So we're honored Carolina could join us today. I hope you like this episode and are able to learn something from it. Before we jump into the interview, if you haven't subscribed to the show and given it a rating on whatever platform you're listening to, that would be highly appreciated. But Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this one with Carolina Rexy. Carolina, thank you so much for joining the show. It's a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. Listen, I was checking out some of your other interviews you've done, and I think you did one with a radio show in New York. This guy gave the most epic introduction, <laughs> said the Coliseum, Cappuccinos, and something else. And for then sure. Italy, also, <laughs> Italy also gave us Carolina. So yeah. uh, you are... Definitely an accomplished uh, guest, maybe one of our, our most, and I appreciate you taking time to talk to us. I would love if you could, on the note of Italy, tell us about yeah. your foundation, your background, and uh, kind of the potted version of your biography, if you will. For sure. So I'm Italian. Both my parents are fully from Italy. I grew up in Rome, so the capital. Uh, really grew up there up until I was 18, so really lived a very Italian uh, life up until college. And then when I was 18, I moved to the U.S. So I moved to Boston for college, studied business, um, mostly because I just didn't know what else to study and I didn't really have an idea of what I wanted to do. So I figured business and econ was a safe bet. And so I did that. And then I graduated uh, a few, 2015, moved to New York, got a great job at Bloomberg uh, working on their financial technology side. So basically selling financial data to broker dealers, banks, Wall Street people, um, helping them trade uh, more efficiently. And so I did that for three years. And then I just realized that that wasn't really my passion. I didn't want, I wasn't super passionate about the cause. And um, I wanted to do something that was my own, that felt mine and actually live um, a life and a work life that felt more purposeful for me. And so uh, three years ago, I quit that finance job and I started my own company in education technology with my sister. I swear I just heard a New York accent. Have you been working on this or what? No, no, I <laughs> definitely don't have a New York accent. Uh, I used to have actually when I moved here in college, I had somewhat of an Italian accent and then it kind of faded away over time. But sometimes it slips in and I'm sure you're, you're going to hear some of it because uh, it does resurface. You almost got like a Midwestern twang to it. I'm curious, what do you, what do your uh, parents do? Were they encouraging of the idea of you moving from Rome to Boston? Yeah, so they are both, um, I guess, somewhat creative. My mom is a journalist, and my dad actually is an underwater photographer. 
Um, so what? Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Has a really funky background. Uh, he worked for National Geographic for a bit. He traveled a ton for work. Um, he's like pretty specialized with whales and sharks. And so he was traveling a ton when I was growing up and he would oftentimes take us with him. And so I think that gave him a very like open mind, if you will, and made him very uh, globally aware. And so me going to the U.S. was kind of a natural progression mm. just because of how much we traveled and, and how much uh, they wanted us to be worldly as well. Why Boston, Carolina? Why Boston? <sighs> to be honest, it was kind of, I mean, I didn't have a good reason. I, when I was looking at colleges, I really didn't know anything about uh, universities in America. So I think I knew like Harvard, Stanford, and that was it. I just knew like a couple IVD. And so <laughs> it really was not an informed decision. Um, they, Babson, which is where I went to college, uh, was recruiting at my high school. So they actually sent their counselors all the way to Rome. And what? yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> wow. So they definitely can't do that today. Uh, <laughs> so they, a counselor just spoke at my high school and uh, they had a really good entrepreneurship program that I was interested in. Um, although I don't think I really knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur at the time, but I was intrigued by this entrepreneurship program and um, the school, you know, was in Boston, which is somewhat of a European town. And it felt like a good next city to be in. One thing that always makes me stop and think or appreciate people like you were, I'm kind of of the type where if I want to go to school in Europe, if I want to yeah. go to college there, my first thought is, oh my gosh, that sounds like a lot of paperwork or a big hassle. I don't know. Do I need a green card or like, yeah. it's easier just to not do it. Yeah. Are you just like, do you just have that conquer mentality? Um, and I know that's kind of like a small, a small example, yeah. but I'm, I'm sure it's displayed itself multiple times in your yeah. career. I actually think, so it's funny, I I don't think spontaneously I do, but I do have it when I really care about something. So uh, I, I don't, I'm not someone, I think there's like some people who will like conquer and work hard regardless of what they're working on because they believe in the principle of like working hard. And, you know, some people are just like, even with going to school, they study hard because they want to study hard. I was like, either, you know, a C person or an A person. So either I really care or I don't care at all. Um, <laughs> so I think when I was in high school, I mean, it was kind of a coincidence that I ended up in, in school and I, growing up and especially in my college decision, it was not very intentional, I would say. Uh, it kind of just fell on my lap. The school presented, you know, at my high school, yeah, yeah, yeah. my college counselor helped me do it, but I was not very intentional. And that's something that I've really found that I am, or I, I guess I discovered that quality in myself through my business. Uh, before mm. that, it was hard for me to like find that motivation because I just really needed that uh, intrinsic passion first. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but I guess like I only am when I care about something. How, how old, how old were you when you uh, founded, co-founded EdSites? Um, I was 24. Wow. Okay. And you left a comfortable job to do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wow. left a comfortable job. I had just started making uh, more than six figures. So I feel like that, that first promotion is like always 
the biggest one. Um, and I was doing really well in that, in that job and the company is, I mean, to this day, I think it's a, a great company to work at. So yeah, it was a very counterintuitive thing to do. And it was very scary at the time. But what, what, was the what was the inspiration for EdSites? Yeah, so my sister and I uh, were living together at the time. So she had just graduated college and she moved in with me. She had a job offer that she delayed. So she basically asked the company, hey, can I um, join in six months instead of right after college? And so she had these six months in which she was living with me and we were kind of um, exploring a different project at the time. It, we started working on um, a mobile app for college professors to help them get feedback on teaching. And so it was very informal. We, it wasn't supposed to be necessarily a business. She was, you know, in between graduating and her first job, I was still working a full-time job. And yeah, we started working on this and it uh, grew pretty fast. It had no business model. It was a free mobile app. Um, and it grew pretty fast. And that's when we realized, you know, maybe this is something that we should actually think about as a business. And so we started looking into ways to monetize it. We started looking at, okay, what are our users willing to pay for interviewing a lot of them? Uh, we went through an accelerator and through that process, we actually pivoted, um, into what EdSites is today, which is very different from what we started with. So it was really kind of we came up with one rough idea, and then as we were trying to figure that idea out, we pivoted in some, into something, I would say, pretty radically different. What makes you interested in student retention? Yeah, uh, good question. So I think uh, I can relate to student, uh, to the dropout crisis, I guess, in the US for a few reasons. Um, mostly when I moved to Boston, I you know, I, I just didn't know anything about college in the States. Like I told you, I, I really only knew of Harvard and Stanford. I had no idea that my school existed before I applied there. Um, and there was just a lot that I didn't know about being in the States and being a college student here. So I didn't know what a GPA was because uh, my high school didn't have GPAs. Um, I didn't know that we had advisors, had no clue that, um, you know, how like even exams fully worked because our system in high school was totally different. Uh, and so in a lot of ways, it was somewhat similar to the experience of a first-generation college student in the U.S. Um, and I realized that I didn't have a ton of guidance when I, when I was in college. And so when we were pivoting from our old product into EdSites, um, this one kind of seemed like the best one for us because it was a problem that, we, that resonated and that we could relate to. And so we felt like we were well-equipped to actually build something that helps students and institutions solve the problem. Can you talk a little bit about the dropout crisis in the U.S.? Yeah, uh, it's crazy. So, and it's crazy because a lot of people don't know about this, but uh, essentially what's happening is every year in North America, there's about 6 million students who start college and thinking that they're going to earn a degree and maybe taking out loans for, in order to pay for that degree. And the sad reality is, you know, only about half of those students actually graduate. So in the wow. Yeah. In the U.S., only 56% of students um, who start college actually finish. And it's obviously a huge issue for students because they're stuck with loans. Um, they end up earning less than, you know, people who do have a degree. Uh, it's a big issue for their families. And it's also a massive issue for universities because that's how they're making their money, right, is tuition revenue. 
Um, or if they're public and they're publicly funded, they need to have a certain graduation rate for them to maintain that funding. Really? I didn't even know that. This is all news to me, Carolina. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy industry and it's crazy how little people talk about it. So tell me what EdSites does to help with that crisis. Yeah, so we use conversational AI to help universities engage, retain, and support students. So when I say conversational AI, I mean essentially chatbots. So you can think of it as almost like a Siri or an Alexa, but for college. So it's branded after your college mascot. Um, So it would be like Gus the Gorilla or uh, Jack the Bulldog, depending on where you go to school. And unlike Siri, it's over SMS. Yeah. What would it be for? What, what would it be for a, a mat? I went to Vanderbilt. The mascot is the Commodore. I'm curious. What, what's your well, uh, first I- inclination for the name? So you know, usually <laughs> something like that when it's like the Commodore or I don't know. There's like the pilot. Usually, there's like a name for that that we that most students just don't know about. So I don't know what it would be in your case, but uh, okay, okay, maybe okay. it's something like I don't know, Casey the Commodore. Or usually, there's like a person name. And then the thing. And so usually we would go with the name. And I gotcha. That, yeah. that's, that seems like it might be a, you know, a, f- a fun part of the job. But you work with the university recruitment and uh, student retention department at universities. And then onboard them so that this AI like sequence of messages mm-hmm. actually sends out. So like, hey, I heard you didn't like about your classes. Mm-hmm. Walk us through. I'm... I'm, I'm yeah. I'm not doing it justice because it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so the way that it works is we onboard a new school. Um, so let's say it's Villanova and let's say it's, I don't know, Charlie the Commodore. I don't know. Let's pretend it's Charlie. It's uh, a Vanderbilt, Carolina, but continue. Oh, my gosh. Vanderbilt. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible uh, mistake. Uh, Vanderbilt. And so we would onboard Charlie the Commodore, and then we would basically train the bot to know all of Vanderbilt's resources. So instead of it being like Siri, um, we would actually make it so that it knows the hours for a financial aid office. It would know the deadlines for everything. Um, that way, if a student asks something like, hey, what's you know the financial aid code for Vanderbilt? Or hey, how do I apply for housing? If you ask Siri those questions, Siri has no clue what you're talking about. But if you mm-hmm. ask your school's bot, then the idea is that they would be able to respond instantly and get you access to that information in no time. So that's kind of the first piece of it. And then the second piece is unlike Siri or Alexa, the the bot will actually reach out to you as well. So um, it's not dormant. It will text you and say things like, Hey, Andrew, you know, I know you've been in school for about two months. I'm curious how you feel. Do you feel like you've made a good group of friends so far? And then based on your response, it will guide you to whatever the best resource is at the institution. So it is very proactive and that's the big key difference between our chatbot and again, say like an Alexa or a Siri. That is, it's so genius because, <laughs> well, all these universities, what? I said genius is a big word. <laughs> uh, all these universities, like Vanderbilt always promotes how many resources they have available to students. Mm-hmm. And it's so great. Like a lot of them are amazing, mm-hmm. but then you get on, campus and you start your classes and you forget about all the other resources like tutoring or whatever it is. And it is, it's hard to find a a centralized location for the information. So this is incredibly 
important. Can you talk about some of the success that you've seen as you've yeah. rolled this out? Yeah, it's been it's been wild. I mean, I think when we started three years ago, my sister and I had an idea that this was going to work, right? And like our thesis was, you know, we think that engaging with students over text message using a chatbot will be an effective way for us to communicate information to students as well as an effective way for us to collect information about the student experience and use that information to connect students to resources. And that was kind of our hypothesis, if you will. And then as we actually launched and started engaging with students, what we found was the student engagement is just insane. Um, students on average, 95% of them remain opted into the program. Uh, we wow. see about, yeah, we see about 65% of students actively texting or texting back. Um, so actively engaging with a chatbot. And what we've seen really across the board is that it does really help with retention. So when we look at some of our institutions, what we did is we'll split a year into two groups and one half of the student population has access to the chatbot and the other one does not. Um, and that's a good way for us to look at graduation rates and retention for those two numbers and see how they compare. And, you know, what we've found is there is a significant increase in retention for the ones who have access to the chatbot. So at one of our institutions in Missouri, we've seen a 12% increase in retention. Dang. Um, yeah, at Bethel University in Indiana, we saw 4% and they had three years of declining retention rates, which means that we wow. completely flipped that trend. Um, and that's, you know, those are really big numbers in the retention world because in many cases, you know, 1% increase in retention can equate to, depending on how big the school is, 40 students, 100 students, and in many cases, millions of dollars in tuition revenue. Wow. Caroline, I'm curious, do you? Do you encounter a lot of problems on a day-to-day -day basis uh, being a genius? You know, I'm just, <laughs> it's no, hard well, up here. <laughs> well, well. No, think about, think about this. And I know you, I know you kind of sell the product to the university, but yeah, think about the 12% of students whose <laughs> lives you've changed. That is insane. That is insane. Yeah. It's cool. I mean, I think we, we're really lucky that we're doing something that is actually has a social cause that we care about, which I think is really hard to find. Um, and it helps a lot. And it kind of goes back to what I was telling you before. Of I can really just become proactive and a maker and give it my all if I care about what I'm doing. And for me, I need that um, motivation. And I think the social cause that comes with the mission that we're, that our company has is really helpful uh, in that sense. So I just pulled up some stats here of yeah. how, how you've changed hundreds, <laughs> thousands of kids' lives. College graduates see 57% more job opportunities, um, which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, you prepares you for a specialized career and thus higher earnings. Mm -hmm. um, I'll stop there. That, that was that was a weak, that was a weak uh, list of uh, stats, but it is, think about that. that you're, you are directly affecting that. So I guess, thank you. Um, I'm curious, it seemed, and you've mentioned pivots a couple of times, mm -hmm. um, not only in moving from Rome to Boston, mm -hmm. not only in going from, uh, Bloomberg to entrepreneurship, but yeah. also within, within ed sites itself. Yeah. Uh, it started off as one thing, turned into another thing and checking out the current website, 
with the COVID-19 resources, which again, how important that is because it all is such a case by case, um, you know, thing going on right now. How important has the ability to be flexible been in your life and with the business? Yeah, I I think that's huge. Um, We pivoting our business almost a year in was maybe like, I mean, it was the most important thing that we've done today. And it was also one of the scariest things uh, because you're like, you just spent a year working on something and you raised money with, you know, the idea of making that thing happen. You maybe hired a person uh, with the idea of making that thing happen. And when you're pivoting in a sense, you're like, you're admitting whatever I'm doing now is, is not Mm. necessarily working. And that's a hard thing to admit to yourself. But for, I think for me, pivots have been kind of my savior. And every time we've pivoted, whether it was, you know, like a business pivot or a relocation or quitting my job, it's always paid off tremendously. Um, And I think that's like the number one thing. I mean, being lean and nimble and being able to really see if something is working or not and then changing fast if necessary, I think is critical because, um, yeah, you're not just going to, if you just bang your head against the wall, the wall is not going to move. Right. So like you have to Mm. do something to make that happen. And um, yeah, I think pivot, being able to say this is not working, let's try something else and doing so early on, I think is really, really important. And a lot of founders who are successful typically are successful and they pivoted at some point before that. It's very rare that they just stick it out with that one idea or with yeah. that conviction and it works out um, after, you know, it hasn't been for some time. It's interesting. We've had the opportunity to meet a, a a lot of creatives over, you know, I guess our five years in the industry that we've been in. And I think defining your goal at the, at the beginning is an important thing to do. So maybe for you was, it was to create a business Mm -hmm. that was growing and sustainable, but some of these creatives are so hesitant to compromise on what their creative vision is in order to like, whether it's a musician who, loves their 10 minute song when really a three minute song is the only thing that's marketable and playable on the radio or whatever. Um, I, but it's fine if, if you want to just do that as a hobby, that's great. But if, if you're trying to do this full time, anyway, that was kind of a a side note. I would love to hear you co-founded this with your sister. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How is, how is it working with your sister on a, on a business? Yeah, it's, I mean, I, truly cannot imagine having a co-founder that isn't my sister um, just because sibling dynamics are you know really special and really helpful when it comes to co-founding a startup and so uh, do you have do you have siblings or I'm the middle of I'm the middle of five there you go so, yeah <laughs> um, so yeah I think with siblings you have something where there's this implicit trust and so you never have to doubt the motivation of that person or why they're saying something or why they're doing Mm. something. And that makes you go really fast because you're never, you know, second guessing or questioning the other person. And so you can just move, you know, so much faster. Um, And then there's also the fact that it's your sibling. And so you really have no filters, which I think is really important. Um, So many startups don't do well because there's kind of tension between the founding team or, you know, maybe founders are like passive aggressive with each other if they don't know themselves 
or know the person really well. But with a sibling, you can just, we always say like, you can almost be just aggressive straight up versus being passive aggressive mm. and let it out and then you move on. And it's, you know, you don't hold on to anything. There's no grudges and you can go just super fast because of it. So she's also my roommate. So we spent a lot, a lot of time together. <laughs> uh, man. I'm, I'm curious, what are your goals, Carolina? I think, I mean, we're, for me, you know, when you were talking about goals and for me, it is to build, to have an idea um, and build it into a business and make it into reality. I'm not, you know, I'm not super attached to the idea necessarily, but I am attached to the idea of building something and creating something from scratch. Um, and for me, that's like a, a great company that's solving a real problem that has a mission that I care about and that's made up of amazing people. Um, and so far, that's that is what we're doing. We have a lot of way to go still. We can grow a lot more and become a, a way bigger company. So for me, just like scaling up what we're doing now is is really my goal. And when you look back on all of your accomplishments, mm -hmm. what are you most proud of? It could be a tangible award. It could just be a moment that's yeah. memorable. Um, you know, like right now, what I'm most proud of is actually the team that we work with. Um, so when we have like our team meetings or our team, we had a team outing recently and we hadn't met like half of our team because we hired most of our team during COVID. So after a few months of Zoom calls, we finally met in person. And I think those are the moments where I feel most accomplished is where I, where I realized, oh man, I created a company and now I'm working with all these people mm -hmm. that I really love. And I get to pick the people that I work with every day, um, one by one, which is amazing. And everyone has a great energy to them and they're working towards the same cause. And for me, that's like, recently that's really been my biggest motivator and my biggest, um, I guess like, uh, proud moment is just building a team of people. When you go down uh, in the Hall of Fame, in Earth's Hall of Fame, yeah, are you going to claim Italian citizenship or can the Americans claim you? Yeah, I. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually have two passports. Um, so okay, good. I'm both. I, you know, luckily I. Yeah, I'm both. I was born in San Diego, even though I never lived there. Um, it was I was really there for a few months just because my dad is a photographer, so he was he was working there for some time. Um, but yeah, so I really feel both identities. Um, I think Italy is more home for me, but both cultures gave me something different, and I think both of them are really critical for what I'm doing. Italian is more creative and relaxed and you know, it gives you all of quality of life and that type of um, qualities. And then America is just concrete, really concrete. <laughs> so mm. you actually get things done here, which is something that Italy isn't great for. Um, so yeah, you, America can fully, fully take credit. You don't care about either of the stories I'm about to tell, but I'm going to tell them anyway. One, yeah. one of the biggest arguments that my wife and I got in ever was in Rome. And it was because... We were there for two days and I wanted to do the Vespa ride around the city, classic yeah. tourist, but it was raining. She was like, this seems dangerous. And so we, we did this big fight and I lost. She was probably right about it, but I'm, 
That, that's my one memory of Rome. No, we didn't do it. Um, <laughs> we'll have to go back. But the second thing is I, I actually played football with, I don't know if you know the name, Giorgio Tavecchio. He's one of the only Italian football players in the NFL. Uh, he's wow. a kicker and, and we were teammates for a couple of years, but he gave me a strong appreciation for the Italian culture. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, again, you know, the best thing, you know, the best thing is super famous. <laughs> <laughs> FYI, your wife. Is really? Yeah. Okay. Um, but it is also really fun. I, I love driving Vespas there. It's one of the most, for me, one of the most like liberating feelings for some reason. Um, but Rome has the worst driving. And if you're not used to driving a Vespa in Rome and it's raining, it's probably not the wise thing to do. But have you ridden an electric bike yet, Carolina? An electric. Okay. So what, what qualifies as an electric bike? It has pedals. That's the, it's like a, like I don't a, actually know. Like an e-bike. What? Yeah. Like a city bike, but the electric ones. Oh, they, I didn't even know they had those. Yeah. Have I, you ridden one? Yeah, by accident. I thought it was a normal city bike, and then it just... Oh, you were just flying. Went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, 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 I mean, I, I've never actually ridden a Vespa because of that, but I, I imagine we, the e-bike is like my newest hobby. Okay. Again, things you don't care about. But I'm curious, <laughs> uh, what are three things when you look back on how you've gotten to where you are today. Uh, it could yeah. be something you've learned or something someone else has shared with you uh, that you consider advice worth sharing. Yeah. That's a hard question. I think the first one would be, I'm sure you've gotten this before, but I, I really think it's the most important thing to just do it. Just do it. Just get things done. Don't overthink it. Um, I think choice paralysis and like, overthinking things is our biggest enemy, especially when it comes to like living a life that feels um, purposeful to you. So that would be the first one. The second one is surround yourself with people you really trust and care mm -hmm. about. Um, I can't stress that enough. I, even when I was in college, I used to know a lot of people and be with a lot of people, but I didn't fully trust or even genuinely like a lot of them. Um, and I think being surrounded by people that feel like home is, is really important and critical. Um, and then the third one, I think just for me, it's been, um, to be, I mean, this is kind of sounds annoying, but to be thoughtful about your work. Like if, if you decided that this is what you're going to do, be thoughtful about it and don't go on autopilot. Cause I think when you make the most mistakes and when you get lost the most is when you're kind of on autopilot and you're like, okay, well I have my one-on-one, -on -one, I have my weekly meeting, I have this, I have that. Uh, but actually taking time to like step back and think, is this how my day should be spent? Is this, you know, reading something and not only looking for the typos, but actually seeing, does this make sense? And is this what I want to say? Um, so being more, yeah, just purposeful and thoughtful about the work that you're doing is something that recently I've started really appreciating. Those are all simple, but pretty deep. Yeah. Um, hey, it was a pleasure talking to you, uh, an honor to meet you, and I'm excited for the difference you're making in the world. So thank you for giving us the time, and I'm excited for what's next. Awesome. Sounds great. Thank you, Andrew.